It's time to pull up a chair and open your Bible for today's Bible study segment of Naomi's Table. Now, here's our teacher, Ruth Christian. Good afternoon again. Good to be with all of you. Wow, we're here we are. We're we're I guess we're on the home stretch. We're starting chapter 5. And what we're going to see today is John's now going to be talking about victory. In the previous four chapters, John wrote of walking in God's light, living in God's love. And what we're going to see in the final section is he talks about experiencing God's life, you know, that real life that Christ gives us as a child of God. God is light, love, and life. And so let's start right into what he has for us in chapter 5. Verse 1 says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him. John has often mentioned being born of God. Now, uh, here he tells us how one is born of God when he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we need to understand here, and that was a key, the Messiah. And he's talking here, believing in Jesus as their Messiah, the Messiah promised in the Old Testament, because even then there were false messiahs. And it's not just some generic false messiah. He's talking about he is the Messiah. John, his great emphasis has been on love, but he never wants anyone to believe they earn salvation by loving others. That's really the the basis for some false teaching now. I mean, it's all about loving others. We are born of God when we put our trust on Jesus and his saving work in our lives. We're saved by faith, and then we walk by faith. Faith in what? Faith in our God and faith in everything that he has for us, faith in his word. So we also understand that John was not talking about a mere intellectual assent to Jesus being Messiah. You know, I mean, as even the demons had, as described in James 2 verse 19, instead he means a trust in and a reliance on Jesus as the Christ. Being born of God also has these two effects that he's talking about in this verse. It is assumed that we will love God and him who begot us, all right, in that verse, because we're born again into his family. But it is also assumed that we will love others who are begotten of him. That's what he's talking about in this verse. Or in other words, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then in verse 2 and 3, he says this, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his, his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. As our love for the people of God reflects our love for God, as expressed before by John in chapter 3, verse 10, when he said, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Well, so too, our love and obedience to God, of course, is a demonstration of love to the body of Christ. 
a, a Christian who does not love God or keep his commandments is of little effective use in the body of Christ. This is true even though a person may be involved in, in ministry and, and hold an, an official position of service in the church. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. To love God is also to keep his commandments, is what he's saying. The one who says he loves God, yet walks in a lifestyle of conscious disobedience is like the believer who says they walk in fellowship with God, yet walk in darkness. That was 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 6. And what's, what does he say about both of these two situations? They're lying. John had the words of Jesus in mind. In John 14, verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. That's a simple commandment to understand. Simply put, love for God will show itself in obedience. Again, one of the commentators I looked at said, Christians frequently attempt to turn love for God into a mushy <laughs> emotional experience, but John does not allow this in his epistle. Then it's like John says, oh yeah, by the way, his commandments aren't burdensome either. They are not burdensome for many reasons. But here are two important ones contrasted with each other. They're not burdensome when we compare them to the religious rules men make up. John is not trying to say obedience is an easy thing. If that were so, then it would be easy for us not to sin. And John has already acknowledged that we all do sin. 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 8. John is thinking of the contrast Jesus made between the religious requirements of the religious leaders of his day and the simplicity of loving God and following him. Jesus said all the rules and regulations of the scribes and Pharisees were as heavy burdens. Matthew 23, verse 4. In contrast, Jesus said of himself, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Matthew 11, verse 30. Instead of the burdensome requirement to keep hundreds of little rules and regulations, Jesus simply says to us, love me and love my people and you'll walk in obedience. When we really love God, we'll want to obey him and please him. Now, verse 4 and 5. He says, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The word overcome is another favorite of John's. Back in chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, he used it with reference to overcoming the world. He uses it seven times in Revelation, to describe believers and the blessing they will receive when they overcome. To be born of God is to share God's victory. This is a victory of faith. Faith in what? The person who overcomes is the one who declares by faith, Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 5. It is faith in Christ that gives us victory. Jesus said in John 16, 33, 
in the world you shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And remember, we have that real life of Jesus in us. So we too can be overcomers. As children of God, our identification is with Christ. And identification with Christ and his victory reminds us of the several times we've read as he is in John's letter. Let me explain. He says, as he is, so are we in the world. That was chapter 4, verse 17. And in chapter 1, verse 7, he says we should walk in the light as he is in the light. And in chapter 2, verse 6, we should conduct ourselves as he conducted himself. Ephesians 2, verse 6, Paul states, When Christ ascended into heaven, we ascended with him and are now seated with him in heavenly places. By faith, we claim our wonderful position in Christ. This is sometimes called positional sanctification. You know, we're set apart unto God when we're saved. And part of that is our position that we have in Christ. We're seated in the heavenlies with him. And then, uh, and we should act as if we are and act as he would have us act. We have victory in Christ. As a child of God, our authority is determined by our position in Christ. When we trusted Christ, we were identified with him. Our old life has been buried and we have been raised to new life of glory. One other note, in this letter we see that victorious faith is the result of maturing love. That's what's been going on here in this last chapter. The better we come to know and love Jesus, the easier it becomes to trust him in the needs and the battles of life. So in closing, in my own words, what is John saying here? Christians, you don't have to walk around defeated because you have victory in Jesus. Jesus has defeated every enemy and you shall share, not shall share, but you share his victory. Now, by faith, let's claim it. Until next time, stay close to Jesus and keep looking up.